What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media with me, Dr. John Russell. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, we have an awesome episode with the man himself, Mr. 3000, Donnie Thompson. Donnie is truly a student of the movement game, along with having the accolades of being the first male ever to lift 3,000 pounds in competition of powerlifting. He's not just a meathead, though. Donnie is truly a movement scientist, and he is a practitioner of physical therapy, soft tissue mobilization, and mobility. Along with all his sporting accolades, Donnie is also a notable inventor and has multiple products that he has licensed to Rogue, among others. Let's get right into it. Here's the interview with Donnie Thompson. We have Donnie Thompson here with us. Mr. 3000 Super D. What's going on, Donnie? Yeah, hey, it's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, John. <laughs> Man, I'm excited to talk to you today because we have so much stuff to cover. I know it's been a couple months since we got on the phone here. Well, well I- hey, let me let me real quick tell tell everybody listening. The first time we actually talked, I'm in the gym with my laptop filming how to temp body temper, and all these girls is, we're trying to roll this girl out. We're losing connection, reconnecting. It was mass chaos and we must have been done it for like uh an hour haven't didn't we and, oh uh, man yeah we were we were like, after check that this out john see how it works see see how i'm done you know <laughs> see how this gets the back remember that and it was like you're standing there like what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah i thought i was back up into the dial-up phase of the internet you know we were going pixelated but all i knew was that was something that i wanted to know more about with the body tempering yeah now, if people don't know what the body tempering is and the tissue diffusion, can you talk a little bit more about that just so everyone's on the same page? Yeah, we um, – what inspired it we, – we always did some form of it. You know, We used to take the kettlebell, roll it on us a little bit in our hip flexors and stuff. I mean years – I'm talking back in 2004, 2005. Uh, roll our stomach with the kettlebell. We would um, – I, I would take PCB pipe because the big thing in powerlifting when you're moving heavy weights is you don't need a hernia. You know, A hernia will <laughs> – basically sideline you for your whole career. You can come back from them, but when you're in the midst of running for world records and stuff like that, it's just not a good thing to get. So I, my big thing was prevent it. You know, I don't want to have it. So we uh, had a, go ahead. So back in 2005, you're, you're rolling your gut with the kettlebell. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I bought that, uh, I bought the, I had like an 88 pounder I would use. And then in 2005, that 106 came out from Dragon Door, and that's the one I used. Man, and 2005, that's before the time of being cool to foam roll, to be cool doing all this stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, before the supple leopard come out and everyone was rolling right. their guts. Um, we were on top of that stuff. Uh, I mean, but we did it out of necessity, you know. We we didn't um, – we, did, we couldn't afford a hernia, and we – it just made sense to do, uh, you know, I don't know where we picked that stuff up from. If I knew exactly, whatever, it just it felt good to have something heavy or we would have people stand on our hip flexor or on the, you know, um, right above the armpit, right on the, where the biceps tie in, uh, we would have people stand, you know, or, or if they couldn't hold the kettlebell on it and just stuff like that years ago. Uh, and, you know, I, again, if I can attribute it to where I picked up, I don't remember. 
I don't know if it was Pat Bell that showed me that stuff. You know, I it could have been, but it's just been, you know, long, but I know we've been doing it for years. Yeah, and, and walking on people. So I thought people were absolutely crazy. I've seen this on the internet before. I've been walked on a time or two myself. But over the New Year's, I was working with the Chinese Olympic Committee. And the first day I roll into the Olympic Weightlifting Center, and I see the entire team walking on each other. And I'm like, yeah. hey, these are the best lifters in the world. And they just organically knew how to take care of their tissues doing stuff like that, having yeah. a, a large amount of pressure into the tissues and really getting something out of it before there's really any studies, any research. You know, this was ancient Chinese medicine stuff that they were doing, but it's obviously working on the biggest stage. And I think you found that as well. Yeah. And, you know, um, they're not exactly body tempering because the body's not going to temper to just someone's body weight you know it's, it might be uncomfortable but it'll definitely diffuse tissue you know and um i think more studies have been done on fascia and stuff because you know 10 20 years ago no one knew what fascia did and they didn't even know why it was on the body and um you know now that we know that it pulls muscle and pulls the veins pulls nerve encasements we can get that fascia broken up you know or, or you know to a point where you can use recruit you know recruit freely it's uh it's it, you know, it's, it's spectacular and the, the stepping on people. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, they would the kind of ART stuff. They would step on a high, uh, high hamstring and stand there and you would curl your leg. Yep. You know, remember that stuff? I mean, the smash and floss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was years ago. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we did that and, um, if it wasn't heavy enough, you'd get somebody like 40 pounds more it was too heavy. You'd get fire them and, you know, get, get someone else. So it's hard getting partners to do that kind of thing. Yeah, you're probably trying to throw some weight on your partner just so he can give you a better soft tissue work. <laughs> right. Get him up a weight class. <laughs> well, honestly, you know, uh, uh, like the foam rollers had good intentions, but they just never panned out. You know, um, that, that's just not getting too far into the too far into the tissue with those. And another thing with foam rolling um, is uh, the reason I just never did it is as I had to scoot around on the floor and, you know, when I competed, I was 385. I'm not going to be scooting on the floor so easily like my 165 pound buddy, you know, and, uh, or my 148 pound girlfriend, they'll get on the floor and move all over the place. You know, like John Travolta on Saturday night fever. But me, <laughs> I lay down and do that. I'm not, I'm not really going to be going all over the head. So, you know, like how am I supposed to move around? You know, um, yeah. With, dig with, into that tissue. With the foam rolling, uh, I really see that as one of the biggest time wasters in the fitness and athletic industries. Really, there's a lot of people just flailing around on it, and that's the biggest you know pitfall right. that I see with it. But the second yeah. one is I have clients that are you know over 300 pounds, some NFL guys. They're not going to get down on the floor and be able to do the moves that a 155 pound guy could be able to do so right. it really isn't an all-inclusive you can't just put everyone into a general you know aspect where you can actually put in soft tissue work f throughout you know if you're working with a football team the quarterbacks all the way up into the linemen it just doesn't work out that way you have to have something between just to make sure that we can actually get the most out of the time that we're spending on soft tissue work well i knew i knew i was out on that that cool thing years ago when i got on the foam roller and i started I start going back and forth on it, and it just disintegrated under me. You know, <laughs> I kind of knew foam rolling wasn't for me at that point, so I had to use a PCB pipe. 
and I stuck with that, you know. That was uh, it. Literally, John, it literally crushed under me. This, this, this crush. No, was so that just was like the old school phone? Company. Yeah, it was a decent company too. So. <laughs> Did you send it back? What? What's the deal? Nah, what's the point? You know, I wasn't gonna ever do it again. <laughs> now, from 2005 up until current day, you've had some really good things come out of your mind and actually into production where you're using something above and beyond what a foam roller is, even though it does look like a foam roller. So I'm talking about the ex-wife here and its sisters yeah. and brothers. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I had it. I bought it in the 90s from a gym that shut down. Now we saw that thing in the corner. I was like, well, I don't remember this gym. I'm, I'm gonna, it was called Lord's Gym, and it was here in Columbia. And so I bought it for 20 bucks, and I've been carrying it around. We used it on our wheelbarrow for a while when we did wheelbarrow stuff. And we would do, hold it like Zercher squats type thing and uh, hold it for back raises. But it was basically a pain in the ass to move around because it weighed 135 pounds. So uh, I was spray painting something one day, and I just saw it over there. I'm like, you know, this thing's a pain. So I just sprayed X-Wipe on it. This was like five or six years ago. So we called it the X-Wipe all the time. Like, well, somebody please move the X-Wipe out of the way and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, we had a first-round draft pick out of here in from uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks. His name was Clowney. And Clowney goes to Houston, Texas, first round, first pick, right? The first week he's down here, he has hernia surgery. And I was telling everybody here, I'm like, dude, you know, probably one of the greatest defensive uh, ends ever. And he's sidelined by a hernia? You know, this is crazy. It's so needless. And I'm like, all you have to do is, you know, do the kettlebell thing on there or roll a PCB pipe. And I saw the ex-wife sitting there. I'm like, I told my friend Levi, the fireman, I volunteer him for, for things all the time. I'm like, Levi, <laughs> why not? Let me put the ex-wife on your stomach and roll up and down. He goes, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, trust me. I think it'll work. And so he lays down and he starts rolling stomach. So I get my phone and do a video real fast, you know, and I put him on a stability ball and let him roll on there on the stability ball. And man, that thing worked like a charm. And then that led to hip flexors. Then it led to shoulders. And then led to quads. Then we started doing our hamstrings and our upper back. And the last thing was the calves. It was like two months later. We're like, so you think we can do them? I don't know. <laughs> and we did the calves. It was horrific. Then we figured out we can make the Achilles pliable with it if we just hold it static on there. And I don't know of anything else that can do that. I don't know of anything else that can do it that fast. And, um, and we got really, on some people, five to eight degrees flexion just on rolling the Achilles and doing wow. nothing else. Yeah. No, and just, all, you just sit there. We do all the work, just like a typical marriage. <laughs> just so people get a visual of what you're talking about here. You know, imagine something that kind of looks like a foam roller, but it is sheer steel and weighs 135 pounds. And this is being placed over you and manipulated by a coach to work through some of these tissues. Is that about right, Donnie? That is, that is correct. I mean, it's, it's very simple. You know, and if you guys haven't seen this, just hop on Donnie's YouTube channel because you have to see this thing in action. It's all well and good to talk about it, but once you see it, it's a game changer for what you think is possible with your own soft tissue. You're going to be throwing away that foam roller real quick when you see yeah. this tissue tempering. And and we have different sizes for different needs, you know, because there's a lot of small muscles in areas you can't get to. Uh, the ex-wife is just too big for that. and. You know, we do the tibialis muscle. We do the, um, the, the the extensors and the the flexors in the forearm. You know, we do the tricep tendon. Um, I mean, it gets it's pretty. Uh, we do the biceps, and that's a that's a horrible one, John. I mean, that's that's <laughs> for pain. Before you feel good afterward. <laughs> 
I think I saw Chris Duffin doing that one on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we did his elbow. We came up with a thing called tourniquet tempering. We do take the, we take a big floss band that uh, they were made for me. They're ten feet long, four inches wide. And I'm actually going to be selling them here pretty soon. And um, they uh, that was a plug, I guess. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Shameless they, uh, plug by Donnie. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, and um, but anyway, it's like ten foot long, so I, I, I tourniquet the the elbow and um give it some range and then we put the ex-wife on it now you can handle 135 pounds on your elbow when it's under an ischemic condition like that because you can handle the pain and so now we're getting the joint separated and i can actually cool cool the hand and the forearm and move it and drive and pronate the hand and all this while it's under this duress and it actually exposes the joint and opens it and all those ligaments and stuff that were all gnarled and just meaner than health they're all starting to let loose and let loose. And someone who hasn't straightened their arm in five or ten years or now straightening their arm. Is that incredible or what? You know, you know, it's I'm not unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, there's a lot too. You know, people go through 30, 40 treatments, traditional physical therapy, and sometimes never even get any manual treatment. They go through training sessions for sometimes years and never get any increased mobility. They never really get better at their movement patterns. And if you can do something as efficiently and as effective as some of these methods that you're talking about, it's almost instantaneous function coming back, which is what America loves. We love instantaneous gratification yeah. on everything. You, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm an American. I want what I want. I want it now, and I want it cheap. <laughs> and <laughs> right? I want to be self-sufficient with it. <laughs> exactly. Well, self-sufficiency. Yeah, you and is I might have thing. more demands than just that, but you know, basically, it's <laughs> the, the fast food mentality. You know. Oh yeah, and you know, this is something too that people can do themselves. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you do. You can't roll your back, obviously, in your hamstring. Right. You can roll the whole front of your body. There's a lot going on on the interior part of the body. So, uh, you know, uh, we get there, I'll spend 15 to 20 minutes just doing my abs and my uh, hip flexors, quads. I can do my um, adductors. I can get up into my rotator cuff. Uh, and plus, I do static stuff, too, where I just let it sit there for five minutes. And we go five minutes because after that, the circulation's cut off pretty good. And you want to start getting blood flow back to the area. But uh, other than that, and, you know, you're – you're smarter than I am at this kind of thing. I mean, it, it borderlines on muscular occlusion, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from what I read. I mean, I might be out of context here, but uh, it, it's definitely, you know, when I roll somebody, I can see the blood jump to the skin as the XY passes over that flesh. And even in the smaller tempering tools, like when I do a forearm, I, the veins and the, this rise up to the skin as right. you go over and mash this muscle down into the bone. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and like like you said, a lot of stuff can be done on the front side of the body. You know, if I were to pick the front side or the back side to be able to work on myself, I would 100% take the front side because you look at our posture, our seated, internally rotated shoulders, protracted spine yep. posture, and we sit in this, and even the best athletes in the world try to go train out of this posture, and it's hard without some remediation. So that's one of the big things that we get knocked on with our hands-on uh, self-myofascial release techniques is that you can't access things like the, the thoracic spine 
or right. even to some extent the upper lumbar spinal areas or into the backs of the shoulders very comfortably. But a lot of the stuff that's right in front of us is the things that need remediation, the hip flexors, the calves, your forearms, into your internal rotators of your shoulders. Those things are easily accessible to us and it's something that we can definitely take care of on our own because at the end of the day as coaches we want to have people be self-sufficient and that's the key if they have to keep on coming back to us that's not a good thing forever we want to give them the tools so they can be self-sufficient and they can take care of themselves for the longevity of their lifting careers and their healthy lifestyle careers yeah i mean gone is the personal trainer who's the psychiatrist too (laughs) You, you gotta. Nobody has time for people's problems anymore. Oh, we want to fix people so they can be productive and sustain that performance. You know, I mean, that's all it is. And uh, you know, we figured out ways, and you know, it's the most simplest things were in front of us the whole time, John. Nobody overlooks them. And I'm, I'm a huge ankles guy, only because no one else is. You know, everyone's worried about how the, the, the knee hinges and how the hips hinge and all that stuff and how the back goes into, you know, uh, you know, uh, retracted and protraction and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, you know, all these things hinge on what the most important joint on the body, your ankle. And it, it has the strongest tendon. I mean, if you type in Achilles on your phone and you don't capitalize, it will capitalize it for you. <laughs> it's an important tendon. If, if, if your iPhone will capitalize it, it's important, you know, uh, but I mean, it's just, uh, it's, and everybody's like, I need to get my Achilles strong. I said, did you ever rupture it? No. I'm like, well, it's already strong. (laughs) It is. I'm like, yeah, you just need to tap into it, you know? And if you can get it moving, free it up to do its job, you'd be surprised how strong the Achilles is already, you know? And, uh, it's just little things like that. You know, having the proper flexion with your feet and taking care of your ankles and just showing some love, you'd be surprised how your performance goes to the root. I see that every day in the office too. Uh, people don't realize, you know, if they're coming in with dorsiflexion impairment, meaning they're not getting that full flexion of the ankle, you know, when you're going down into squats, things like that. We can relieve these things so quickly because the tissues yeah. are fast responders. So, I mean, there's a bunch of tissues down in that backside of the lower leg there. But using the right methods, I mean, sometimes you can get that instantaneous relief and return to function like we were talking about with the tempering. You know, things right. like ART, advanced soft tissue work, some orthomat- orthopedic manual physical therapy, you know, those things bounce back, which means that people can ultimately take control of their own soft tissues when it comes down to it, when they're out of your office or out of the gym. Yeah. And uh, like, like I told you with the, the Achilles, like I can do most Achilles under 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> now it's painful, not going to lie to you, but it, it's, it's, it's done and it's, you know, you're good to go. Now you imagine doing that every day and then all of a sudden the tempering end takes in, meaning you become acclimated to the crushing forces traveling through you. And you get stronger and stronger, all because you have a big hunk of steel sitting on you. And so now, you know, three months into it, you don't even feel your cast being rolled by a 135-pound pulling object. And you're used to it. And everything, you find out you don't have any aches and pains anymore from squats and deadlifts. Other than getting a little sore, you know, you're not tearing stuff, tweaking stuff, uh, uh, you know, adductor going nutty and, and straining and stuff. None of that stuff happens. You know, now with like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now with, with the pain that you talked about, 
most good stuff you have to kind of pay the price to get the benefit from it especially right. that quick you know 30 seconds you're willing to pay the price but for the lay person the normal person do you think that's what's holding back some of these advanced soft tissue techniques that could really be hugely advantageous if used you know on a daily basis yeah i uh i definitely do because there's a price to pay you're right i mean body tempering's not it's not a joy ride it will be in a few months but at first it it really feels like you're getting crushed and um it's very painful and uh you know week into it you start to do better you do better but it's a hard sell however with a lot of athletes they're already at one with steel you know they you know they're used to the barbell and the dumbbells and all that stuff so when you the the kettlebells grafted in nicely in our society 12 13 years ago now with these pieces these xy pieces it's a big hunk of steel a cylinder steel they have no problem really uh accepting the fact that this is going to work it's just to put the time aside to do it yeah and that's definitely for athletes i can definitely see athletes going after it and saying hey i'll do this you know power lifters whoever that's at the top of their game they're going to be able to deal with the pain because that's what they do in training but on a broader spectrum you know the lay person I think the number one thing of getting somebody to buy in and deal with the kind of discomfort and pain that we're talking about is results. So as soon as you can produce results for somebody, they know that they're going to be back and buying into the system almost instantly. And that's really the key. You know, you can do pretty much anything to somebody as long as, you know, you don't kill them, as long as you get them results. You know, they go run their 5K better or, you know, their Ironman race was killer after working with you their powerlifting meat was PRs, things like that. But if you're not producing results, you know, people will tell you quick. And, and the, here's, let's stay on that top for a second with results. Like my goal is one day get track athletes, like top track athletes, do the ankle, my ankle protocol, get the X swipe on their calves and, and quads and stuff and lower back hips and let them go, let them go right into their, uh, the events. And I want to see the difference on timing you know actual on the clock or uh you know uh, their placement or whatever i want to because it's instant gratification you know we have instant instant finds on this stuff and that's what pleases me about it what you were saying you know because you don't have to invest tons of time you do if you don't want it to hurt but you know as far as instant success i mean if i roll somebody's back in the back or lady that they stand up they feel like a new person and it takes two minutes I think people are shocked too at the timing of the treatments uh, pertaining to performance and then your training. So for us, we use a lot of our soft tissue work directly before training and competition. And people are always like, oh my God, am I going to be sore? Am I going to be not able to perform? And then as soon as they go out and perform better than they've ever felt before, it's that instantaneous buy-in. So are you rolling people uh, right before their training? Yes. I mean, immediately before, you know, what else John has done? It's like, they're not doing a lot of flexibility stuff anymore. (laughs) Hey, flexibility and mobility. You know, those are two words that I could do without forever. (laughs) Well, I I did not say mobility. I try to stay away from that word. (laughs) I know, I know. I got it out of you. But the, the flexibility stuff is age old. You know, we have drug it through decade after decade. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a lot of it is a big waste of time. And, um, you know, now we can, 
we can bypass that stuff with much, something much more effective right on the tissue itself, not having to go through an extremity. And, you know, because usually stretching, say if you're stretching your glute, you have to raise your leg up over your head and push into it and stuff. Well, why not just go right on the glute and diffuse the thing, you know? So we've got all this stuff going on, and we're right on right on it, you know? We don't have to go through a, other means to get to it. Right. You're right at the origin with that stuff. Exactly. And in terms of, I'm going to force feed this term again, mobility. In terms of mobility, what are your views and what are your coaching methods on things like static stretching and joint mobilization and things like that? Um, I never focus on that too much unless there's a problem or an issue because basically you, you need the amountability or flexibility to do the job, the task at hand. And, you know, uh, a lot of times we see, especially with young people or people who have been in the iron game years ago and quit and came back and they're bringing a, their nice luggage of stenosis with them, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, you know, we have to do some drastic means to get that range of motion back. And um, we just need enough to do the job. I'm not going to overrange them, you know, and uh, and before you know it, they're, they're back to their, you know, comfortably lifting in the full range movements and unless they have a you know something taken out and they're missing some if they're medically correct we can usually get them back pretty good you know and it's it just takes a little time but again uh you know with these kids it's so weird you know their, their posture is just horrible their, their hips uh you know they have the no acetal syndrome you mentioned earlier about the the, the humeral head and how it's uh you know rotated anteriorly and internally rotated it's like a double whammy and um you know what do we do to get this back so it's just it's just uh you know it's almost like you have to retrain them in posture too before you get started 100 percent, 100 percent. if you could do the best soft tissue treatment you could have the best orchestrated training program in the entire world be seeing specialists under every single demographic and performance and if you go home and you chill out on the couch in a shit posture you know nothing's going to get done at the end of the day you know yeah. there's there's 22 hours left in the day even for people that are putting in two three hours a day in the gym and that's one of the biggest things to just knock out right off the bat with most athletes and people that we need to be doing a couple things no matter what we're doing in the gym you know obviously nutrition is important hydration is important especially for soft tissue health but maintenance of posture might be the biggest equalizer that i see in our current day fitness society you know it goes beyond all demographics pro athletes we look at lay people the elderly you know even like you're saying you know kids coming in you know eight nine year olds with horrendous posture and some imbalances that you just ha didn't see 20 years ago. But and like, uh, I'll give you for instance, when I go to middle schools to talk, okay, I'm talking middle schools now, not even high school. We are seeing the first stages of kyphosis in some of these kids. Now, you didn't see kyphotic people unless you were at a family reunion and your 93-year-old Aunt Myrtle was there <laughs> and she had a big hunchback and you're like, Daddy, what is that? Why does Aunt Pearl's back like that? Shut, shut up, boy. Don't talk about it behind her. You know, it's like, we don't talk about that. And it's like, uh, I always wondered why these elderly people had that hunchback, you know, and now I don't have to wonder anymore. The kids are bringing it to the table. So you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot of these kids, you know, with, uh, but with their backs hunched and just 
this is completely shoulders anterior rotated forward is horrible and uh now you got to straighten them out just to perform a task you know yeah and it's definitely you know it makes me wonder what are the actual origins of why our youth are really falling apart physically really they're really falling apart you know there's our friend kelly Sturette's doing a lot with stand-up kids you know in his desk his standing desk with his his daughters and trying to get it into the school system i can see some of that but i also question people have been sitting at desks for hundreds of years and yeah. i think we're going home and the kids are sitting at school all day then they're sitting at home all day then oh if you're an athlete you go train for an hour or two you know after school and practice and then you come home and sit again so i think it goes beyond school it goes beyond anything else and it's behavior once again it's just that maintenance of posture no matter what position that you're in you remember the catholic church uh when it used to whenever you go with a friend or something i, I would go to cat they had a uh a board that went down to kneel on the, the, when they had a certain thing, you'd kneel on the board and then you stand back <laughs> up, right? Well, uh, about 10 years ago, I was telling my buddies for these kids, we need to have them uh, have a thing like that where they can kneel if they want, but they're still standing up. You know, you don't, you don't, they can just kneel like from a standing position. On right, right. Like a tall kneel. Yeah. Or they could, yeah. And then they would have the bar height desks at school. Classes would be 35, 40 minutes at, at, at length and not, not an hour. Then they have a break for 10 minutes and then they go to their next class where they stand up and you can shorten the day and have them stand up the whole time or they can kneel, you know, but they're still standing up. There's no sleeping in class. There's no, uh, you know, no hunching over. It's, uh, it's going to be a different type of education. Yeah, and, and those kind of methods, you know, it's even making it into you know high-level athletics with the NFL doing different kind of meeting times where they're only going for about 20 or 30 minutes at once and then having everybody stand up, chilling out for five or ten minutes, then going back at it. I think that's going to become more and more important, especially for our physical development as a culture. Yeah, I, I believe it 100%. Things got to change. The normal's not working anymore. The regular is not working anymore. You know the regulars are working. Yeah. Career fixing everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once everyone's fixed, what are we going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I mean, we we talk about this stuff because we really have made our methods and the way that we do things as coaches and practitioners out of necessity. And I was more from a traditional athletic background than you know you obviously. A, uh, professional football player, but also one of the best power lifters ever to walk this earth. Uh, tell me a little bit more about how power lifting changed your mentality of your training, but also your regeneration techniques as well. Because obviously you did it for a long time, over a decade, right? Yeah, 14 years I competed. 14 I years. I mean, that might, might as well be 100 years, right? <laughs> I had trained 19, 19 years before I started competing, you know. Says, you know, I had like 10 years in football from high school to pro. And then, uh, you know, prior to that, I had trained. I'd started when I was 14. So, you know, it's been a long time, 36 years at it now. And, uh, you know, so it was just like, but the thing is, my dumbass started powerlifting at 30, 32 or something like that. <laughs> you know, waited a long time. And then I'm in my 40s getting all these records. I had to hold together. And so I had to come up with ways to, to hold together. And, yeah. Uh, couldn't afford the injuries and and um you know the the drug route has been taken to people this with tons of drugs that didn't work the uh you know the uh the 
if you really don't want to, like a surgeon told me, quit, quit lifting weights and you won't hurt your shoulders. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, but what I had to do was, you know, I, and I even got a job in physical therapy so I could be around it. And I just, you know, learned a lot and kept my, you know, kept my eyes open, my ears open and learned. And I got to meet Dick Hartzell. He's not a physical therapist, but he had a lot of uh, really innovative things to, uh, with bands, you know, to, uh, distract the body and reset joints and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, I met Kelly Stare a while back and he helped a lot with setting shoulders and hips with me. And then, um, you know, the, 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 a lot of the strength guys like Pavel and Louis Simmons and stuff were big influences. So, you know, you pick up a lot of this, of this stuff on the way. And, uh, I'll tell you the biggest influence were these orthopedic doctors. They didn't even realize it. Right. Cause they're, they're in there every day and their surgeries and so they tell you what's going on in my end you know i'm the strength guy they're the fix-it guy and so when i could talk to them candidly through my work i learned so much from them it was not you know i learned about that's how i developed the fat pad that an orthopedic surgeon told me that we were a bunch of dumbasses benching on a 10 inch wide bench you know? <laughs> he said you need scapular positioning and you need the scap the, the scapula needs to move during the lift they can't just be impinged. And I mean, he went on and on telling us how stupid we are. And that's <laughs> how I came up with a fat pad. And I had it, you know, personal use for four or five years before I ever went to Rogue to sell it. You know, I was thinking it's 2007 when I started with the, my own fat pad. And I used that to train on for the rest of the time. And um, that's quite consequently on my bench. I got three world records out of it. And then, uh, you know, I used what bench there was at the meet. But in training, I always had the fat pad. So... Now I use fatter bars, and I, I mean I did everything these orthopedic surgeons were saying to prevent. I figured a way to, and I listened to them. They got me my training cycle. An orthopedic doc told me you shouldn't be training eight to ten weeks for a meet. Just train two or three weeks for a meet because you're already strong, right. and that saved a lot me on tons of injuries. So you know, I learned a lot from these guys who weren't even powered at first. And those are the best coaches out there, like people like yourself that don't just adhere to one training methodology. You literally went out and sought the advice of everybody who has a strong voice in this industry. I mean, from physical therapists to orthopedic surgeons to powerlifters yeah. to kettlebell guys, everybody. And I think that's why your current methodology is just that strong right now because it's almost like you're taking the best from every single aspect of fitness and making it all synergized together. That, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I mean, because if it makes this, if it makes you perform better, that's what I'm here for to begin with. You know, I'm and watch these kids realize their dreams. It's really cool. You know, I realized mine. I want them to realize theirs too. And uh, you know, being injured all the time is not going to help. Now, with your progression, so say let's go back. You're 32 years old. What actually got you into the sport of powerlifting? What what just honed you in? Uh, because I was scared of it. I always. I always told everybody, you know, yeah, I could, I could bench, <laughs> I could bench uh, 450 pounds or 490 pounds, but you know, if I was in a meet, I could probably get this. I would always, that was my big thing. Oh, if I did a meet, I could probably get it. And then when I actually did a meet, my numbers were nowhere around where I was bragging to everybody I could do. It was very humbling, and I was like, this has got to change, you know. So I was actually scared to do it, and then I finally just committed to it in 1998. And I had a few personal things that kind of if I didn't have powerlifting, I would have, you know, I don't know where I, my brain would have went at that point. And I, I went ahead and uh, committed to it. And then um, 
I started to get my meat totals to go up, you know, because I figured what you do in a gym doesn't really matter. You know, there's a small consequence in the gym, huge on the platform. So um, if you can get those platform lists to go up, your training's on track. If they're not going up, something's bad in your training or nutrition or rehab. Yeah, through that 14-year career, did you really see a linear progression with your performances year to year? I, uh, yeah, we, it would be linear in stages, and then it would just just completely flatten out. And then you're like, with, I didn't question my strength, but I was like, I knew the human body would get wear and tear, but how can you maintain through that phase until it starts going linear again? You know, and because you're only going to get so strong. And right. uh, then I was like, well, I can get faster. So then you'd work on speed. Then I could hold together better. That's when, I, you know, the physical therapy stuff kicked in. And I learned a lot from Dick Hartzell on recovery stuff with bands. And so I would just do all kinds of stuff. And that's where I came with taking the Pavel with the kettlebells. You know, he, he would roll roll his body with them. And I started doing the abs. I think it was Pavel. I picked that up from him. And, um, and he, uh, you know, so I was like, Dad, come. I'm, I can really. So on the days after heavy training, I would spend two hours training on uh, you know, recovery work, you know, yeah. and it was, it was aggressive recovery. It was not, I did not look forward to it, you know? So it was, it was, uh, it was pretty, and that's what held me together. Now, now what was your, what year was your biggest plateau where you're like questioning yourself, you know, can I get any stronger? Can I get these numbers up anymore? Does one year stand out to you? Yeah. 2003, 2003. And, and yeah. what, what broke you through that one specifically? Um, uh, kettlebells did. I was stuck and I was in the 2400s on my total and I'd get very strong and then I would, something would snap, you know, like I had a quad tear, then I had a hamstring tear and then, um, uh, I was something else and something else. And every time I'd go to the seniors and the nationals, it would, I would a week and a half. Oh, it's my lower back too. My lower back was, you know, bulging discs and stuff. And I was getting, you know, I was 343, 345 trying to get used to that new body and um, you know it was just really and then I saw kettlebells and I was like you know I bet you this is one thing I need to help me get stronger in areas that just linear training can't do and so I saw Pavel out and I'm, I'm at, I went to the Arnold and I made sure because I was out <laughs> from injury in the Arnold I requalified the lift in it and then I was out because of a back injury and so he taught me five lifts personally and the next year I won the Arnold and it, I gained 20 pounds of kettlebell, you know, working with kettlebells. So I had muscle built in places I never thought I could get muscle. You know, it was like crazy. All the, the stuff that the um, kettlebells did for me. And I, then I, I went to it, you know, and that, that was the big game chairs 2004, a year after kettlebells that started hitting my numbers then. And that's totally different uh, from the traditional power lifter, correct? You know, you don't yeah. see a whole lot of kettlebells in the 2004 powerlifting specific gym. You know, well, this is kind of crazy stuff in the in the day, right? But Dave Tate and I used to be good buddies. The guy from the lead FPS, and yeah. Him and my other friends would tease me. They would be like, you know, doing the circus song, <laughs> you and your clown tricks, you know. And then at, we did this. Uh, we had this huge convention in Atlanta called the Show of Strength. And I damn near benched 804 or something like that. And I had a 25, 50, almost total 26 out of nowhere. And they were like, so Dave Tate came up to me. He goes, okay, 
tell me about these kettlebells now. And then my <laughs> training partner started doing them. And we all went to Minnesota and got that certification through Dragon Door. You know, we worked our asses off for three days. And I don't, I didn't know what to sign up for that. But here I am out in Minnesota doing this three-day clinic. Yeah, the snatch so test. <laughs> yeah, it was like the snatch test. That you, I mean, this hello, this is the first thing you do. And I was ready for it, but I hated it. And, um, you know, but the kettlebells got me stronger. And, I mean, I just, uh, it was the one thing I needed that I couldn't do with the barbell, you know, so. That's how uh, that's how that came into being. That's what that's what turned the corner for me is the the kettlebells. Now, for people that aren't hugely familiar with the kettlebell, the reason that I think you're saying that they made a biggest difference for you is just because of the mechanical properties of the weight, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's used as centripetal force. So you're swinging, and you're 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 like when you have it in your hand, or the shoulder is is it's hinging from your shoulder. Your your the shoulder is getting all this work. Not directly, but indirectly through your hips, you know, and the shoulder gets stronger and stronger because you're training your hips and your legs and everything else. And uh, it's based on like pendulum movements, kind of like Louis' reverse hyper. It just worked for me, you know, and uh, I can't do barbell presses over my head, but I can do one arm presses over my head. I can do one arm snatches. I can't do regular barbell snatches, but the one arm stuff and I started doing all that. Boy, it was the one key ingredient, you know. Yeah. I remember uh, Louis said, I want you to come to Westside and teach us the kettlebells. Pavel's coming, but, you know, they didn't trust some guy that was a non-powerlifter, right? So right. I had won the Arnold, and the next day Pavel's, like, ordering me on the at Westside bar. We said, okay, Donny, show them your routine. I'm like, I'm so sore. I just got done deadlifting, like, 821 or something like that, you know? And I was like, I was so sore from the day before. And I was like, oh, okay. And so Pavel, I was scared of him. So I, I did my kettlebell routine sore in front of all the West Side guys. There must have been 40, 50 people in that room. And um, they did a kettlebell clinic, and I was doing it main stage. God, <laughs> a little nervous because those West Side guys, they were, uh, they were a mean bunch, man. You know? So I just uh, I did my kettlebell stuff and got the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and if you can earn the respect of guys like that that are really battle-tested, and especially your sport, I mean, that's the ultimate, right? Yeah, I mean, I, all these other powers are starting and they, they thanked me later, like Brad Gillingham, Andy Bolton, you know, Mark Bartley, uh, all these guys got into kettlebells because they saw my success, but they, they didn't just jump into them. They, they had to be proven for a while, and then they started doing them, you know. And that's how I came up with my idea for, the, for my fat belt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the polar opposite of the kettlebell. Right. I had a dream. I had a dream in 2006. I shoved my hand into the center of the beast. <laughs> I put it on a, the way it felt, you know, when I was dead center inside that kettlebell, I was like, holy crap, my hand's right in the center. So I feel like I can, uh, you know, lift everything. So I drew it up real quick and I pitched the idea to Dragon Door and they loved it. But they're like, I don't, we don't want to compete with our product, you know. Yeah, so it kind of sat on the back for a while, you know. But uh, that is how we got it done. Now, uh, for the people that don't know what the fat bell is, can you just tell us a little bit more about that so they can get a visual? Yeah, it looks like a kettlebell, but the handle is in the center of it. And so your hand goes in the center, and the cavity is a perfect sphere, and your hand goes in the center. And when you pick it up, and you can see on my website, you can see my prototypes on there. And, and, uh, and I, uh, it, you're... When you're like that, you have uh, your hand is dead in the dead center of the of the of the bell. Everything 
is more efficient. Like we were talking about efficiency earlier. Yeah. I mean, your presses, your swings, everything. And there's no dead spots like you get in kettlebells, like towards the bottom drag, it'll, it'll lull there because you have to overcome with leverages. There's none of that with this. None of that. It is unreal. And, uh, you know, I've been playing with mine since 2011 when I had it made. You know, I spent over like $2,700 getting prototypes made. And, um, you know, they, they have worked beyond my expectations. Um, so I don't know what else to say other than, uh, well, it was a great dream, you know. <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah. girls were involved. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a dream that's going to pay off in the end. Um, but, you know, just from the properties of that fat bell, it's what we talk about, always trying to get that centrally, that centrated position at the shoulders, at the hips. Right. And that just naturally puts you into those positions, which makes a whole lot of sense to me because we teach this almost on a daily basis, how to get that synergistic spiral effect of the upper extremities, the lower extremities, just so we can stabilize and really tap into our neuromuscular system. But I mean, if we had a tool that could literally position us into something, it would almost take the coaching cues right out of it. People could feel it. They could really enhance their motor control without you having to tell them how they should feel with a dumbbell or how they should feel with a barbell. I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to steal that, what you just said, (laughs) and put it on my website because that was was beautiful. That's exactly – when you take the coaching element, when it it literally coaches you, that's exactly where I want to be, you know? That's ultimate, you know, as coaches, we set our athletes up in a successful position, but it's up to them to really get that last 5% where they can really maximize their performance and their positions because everyone internally is going to be a little bit different. You know, we can set you up for success, but for you to actually maximize it, you have to be a student of your own body really to get in that central position that's going to lead to ultimate performance. And yeah, I, and, uh, you know, one of the problems I have, John, like with the fat bar and the, the fat pad and the, the, the fat bells, uh, the, you know, the products that I've done, they're all safety first, you know, efficient, you know, efficaciousness second or left, you know, parallel. And then um, productivity. I mean, I need a, more productivity out of the, what my actions are compared to what we have all been fed. You know, and I'm sorry, I don't buy into the 45-pound bar. Never have, you know, and that was for Olympic lifting and that is for weightlifting. I mean, that is what they use it for. I don't do those things, you know, so I want better. And that's, that's was my motivation. I don't make equipment. I'm not a manufacturer. I'm not going to make racks and all that crap, but I mean, that's already done. And incidentally, all racks are fashioned after the 45 pound bar, which makes me sick, you know? (laughs) So it's like, you know, uh, what are we in a 45 pound bar world? This is all we have. I mean, for Olympic lifting, that's great. But for powerlifting, there's not one thing we use a 45-pound bar for other than deadlifts. And that damn thing's eight foot long. They stretched it out so the bar standard it whips more, you know. So nothing is the same. And again, you know, going back to that central theme of necessity, what's necessary for your training? Is it to train a certain way just because it's a dogma of the society and your fitness beliefs? Or do you actually want to produce results that are above and beyond the way that you get to those results? Right. And, you know, a lot of people hate it coming from me. They hate it. They're like, <laughs> uh, I had a guy in Canada scratching his head with body temperature. He was like, I was like, he's an expert in all these fields. And I wish I could remember his name, but I can't. And, and I'm, I'm like, because uh, I met, I, I rolled 50 people in Canada. I was fried. And uh, 
And so the guy, I'm like, sir, you're, uh, you're confused on the simplicity of this, aren't you? He goes, yes, I am, to tell you the truth. Because <laughs> he has all these degrees by his name, works with all these professional athletes. And I'm like, dude, all you have to do is get your own and start rolling people. And everything else will fall into place. It's that simple. You know? Because you don't want to, if you're a fast year release guy, a girl, uh, you know, neuromuscular person, those things are accentuated. You're not stopping them. You're making them better. You know, no one's going to stop. I don't want to stop massage. I don't want to stop, uh, you know, fast you release stuff. We're just, the ex-wife will do a majority of the trench work for you. And then you get in with your specialty work. That's what you're there for anyway. That's a great point too. And especially practitioners, you know, they get really butthurt when people come out with new stuff that may be better than what they're currently doing in their methodology. I see it all the time. And especially uh, we got it again with the hands-on SMR stuff. You know, practitioners coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, you know, you're giving away the industry secrets. Nobody's going to be coming to my PT practice or my chiropractic office anymore because they're going to be able to treat themselves. But at the end of the day, isn't that the goal to actually advance the industry so people can become better overall? And the ones who are going to take that mission are the ones that they're not giving up anything. You know, they're going to have an arsenal so big, you know, they're there to fight a war. They're not there to win a knife fight. So, uh, you know, those athletes you're talking about, you know, with it, they want to know everything. They're few and far between anyway. Yeah. They're not the market. You know, the market is the spoon fed. <laughs> that is the, the spoon fed. That's, that's a good way to put it. Everyone wants spoon fed stuff, but sometimes you just have to do your homework. You got to learn about your body. You have to learn about what methods work for your specific body and you have to go from there. And, and, um, and keep at it. Yeah. You know, and it's definitely a practice with everything, with training, with recovery, really everything here. Now, Donnie, where can people learn more about all your fat products, your new website, and everything else that you have going on? Just go on ThompsonBarbell.com. ThompsonBarbell.com. That's brand new, That's right? It. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I actually had that domain back in the 90s, you know, when we were all young. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we resurrected it, and um, the guy that designed my website, he's like, you need something that will tie all your stuff together. We just can't say ex-wife. We just can't say, you know, uh, fat belts. We just get, and I'm like, you're right. And uh, he's the one who told me that Thompson Bar will probably be the best bet because it's an old logo I had from years ago. And then that's what we went with, you know? So I love it. I love it. And you're over on YouTube doing a lot of cool stuff, right? Yeah. You just go to thompsonbarbell.com and press the YouTube button. You got it right on the channel. All right, guys, you got you got to check this stuff out too. All the products that we talked today that Donnie was the mastermind behind, uh, check it out on thompsonbarbell.com. Get over to his YouTube channel and check out this tempering as well. And if you want to see him lift some crazy weight, his 3,000-pound total, get over to that YouTube channel. Yeah, I tell you, the, uh, I'm a strength uh, – my expertise is in strength, but I don't barely teach any of that stuff. And I'm almost glad you know, because uh, that was for me. I did that for me. And I can go to the strength direction, but people are just, I don't feel like doing the battle. You know, nobody wants to listen when it comes to strength. Well, I'm going to do my squats and I, I just do nothing but raw squats. I'm like, oh, okay. So they've already taken out any means necessary to get strong. You know what I mean? You know, it, let me tell you something. I slide on a slide board to get stronger. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have no shame in that. If it's going to make me better and hold me together, I will put on the footies and do the slide board. 
I look like a tap dancing rhino, but I'll do it. You know, I don't, I've never seen a generation of people that box themselves in a corner. I only do it this way. You know, like, okay. <laughs> so I just stay away from those heretics. I mean, I just, you know, uh, they're like the newborn Christian, you know, you're going to hell. I'm like, wait a second. You just got, you, know, you just found Jesus yourself here. You know, quit, uh, quit sending me to hell. You take care of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll take care of my relationship <laughs> with Jesus Christ. Don't sit here and preach to me that I'm going to hell. You know what I mean? Man. They get selling at first, oh, and then they, yeah. they finally come back to the center, and they're more, okay, we are human. We live on earth. You know, we're not, we're not redeemed yet. So let's, uh, you know, let's learn to deal with our real reality, not, uh, not this, this uh, perception we have in our heads that all of a sudden we're cut from everyone else and we're totally different. You know, my gosh, it's crazy. These people, you know, they have one set of hips, one set of shoulders. They abuse them, and then they want to know what happened. Oh, um, man. Uh, we deal with that on a weekly basis. Uh, we write about the stuff on T-Nation that nobody else wants to write about because they don't take the shit after it comes out and everyone reads it. So, I mean, especially with the barbell people. So, I'd say the CrossFitters and the powerlifters, they're the most sensitive groups. Yes. But, oh, man, we've written a couple articles where we're still taking crap, you know, a year later on some of these things. So, I would man. say I would say because bodybuilders used to get a bad rap. I would say bodybuilders are the head of the food chain when it comes to not being too sensitive. Right. Even though they are sensitive, the, the, the power lifters are the worst. They're the worst group. And I love them all. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm just like like any brother correcting his brother. You know, it's like they are the most sensitive. You cannot say anything anything or they will go you you have like touched live dynamite so until power lifters toughen up a little bit and quit being like our news media so sensitive <laughs> you know and every day is a pc day you know uh in, in, you realize there are flaws and the, the one thing that i try to tell power lifters is this when i was up towards to the three thousand total i wasn't much stronger than i was 10 years earlier right but the thing that did it for me was my training simplified. It got streamlined simple, you know. And so it went from complicated with all these percentages getting there. And then when I got to the, the upper top of it, it simplified. And I was like, damn, I should have kept it simple the whole time. And <laughs> that was the big secret, to simplify everything. And until we do that, you're going to be losing your hair. You're losing your mind and pulling your hair out. But that's what people do. Uh, you know, they get, you know, Nick Tuminello, I think he calls them fitness hobbyists. They just want to yep. be a hobbyist in whatever they choose to do physically. So whether that be train with the barbell, train with the kettlebell, go to yoga lotties, whatever, yep. they are going to adhere to that until their body breaks down or they get sick of it. And that's just kind of our culture. You know, it's a society 101 problem. Yeah, this, this wave to currently will, will, it will wash out. And then the regular, the regular type of the, the old school of doing things, you know, the, you know, the, you got a bench squat and deadlift or your basic foundational strength that that's all going to come back in it's, uh, you know, in it's, in it's earlier forms and people will, you know, uh, embrace it again. You know, it's just cycles. So get rid of the current bunch needs to kind of hurry up and get over their hobby. You know. <laughs> All right, Donnie, I appreciate you coming on, uh, you know, talking with us and definitely just dropping knowledge bombs today, uh, going into the body tempering, the way that you made it through the 3,000 pound 
total and really everything in between. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. I know all our guests do as well. Any, anytime, John. Thank you for having me. All right. You got it, man. What an episode from Donnie Thompson. Thank you so much, Donnie, for joining us on the Strength Doc podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Everyone has for sure taken so much away from your expertise and definitely your battle-tested methods that have been throughout the field in the fitness industry. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Dr. John Russell.